Welcome to Slaking Thirst, a podcast that's all about bringing the thirst deep within our hearts for love and communion to the heart of Christ, a divine heart who is seeking our love and communion in return. The hope is that the two thirsts would meet and both thirsts would be slaked. Good evening. Welcome, welcome. Can you guys hear me? Check one, two. Hello, hello. Trying to think, Justine, okay, there we go. I feel like I can hear myself, okay? Yeah, good, okay. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I'm so glad it worked out for you to be here this evening and we have a fantastic night planned for you and I know how hard it is to get away. Just the fact that you are sitting here and you made it is a small triumph because there are a million things competing for our time and I pray the outcome will be a tremendous blessing, not just for today and right now, but for the days and weeks to come and possibly even the trajectory of your family leaving. That's how much I believe in the power of the Holy Spirit through this night and through you giving your yes and being here. I just want to give you a few housekeeping remarks and opening messages before we get started. The most important thing right now, though, is to just begin in prayer. So if we could welcome our speaker tonight, Father Patrick Schultz, to offer our invocation. Thank you. All right. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for this night, Lord. We thank you for all the couples who are here who have said yes. We thank you for all, all those who... Yeah, who made this night possible. Lord, you are so good and you have so much in your heart that you want to give. Send forth your Holy Spirit upon us to till the soil of our hearts and minds that we would be receptive to whatever word you want to speak, whatever gift you want to give. And Jesus, draw us to you. Make this prayer in your mighty and holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So, our speakers tonight, I'm so excited they are here with us. Let's meet them. Father Patrick Schultz, he has been featured on EWTN at Franciscan University and numerous conferences across the country. He is a chaplain for Theology of the Body Institute and currently serves as parochial vicar for the Sacred Heart of Jesus Parish in Wadsworth. And Mark and Lauren also joining us. They're actually going to be speaking together this evening. They've been married for 14 years and are the parents of eight children, one of whom is joining us this evening. Mark works as a police officer and Lauren is a Catholic life coach. Together they desire to share the joys and struggles of passing on the faith. Mark and Lauren are parishioners of St. Mary Parish in Hudson, Ohio. Please welcome them this evening. Give it up for the, the keynote speaker, Brooke Taylor. I mean, that was, uh, holy cow. Are you sure you're not speaking tonight? I mean, good Lord, that was so good. I have the 8 o'clock, 10.30, and 5 o'clock masses tomorrow. If you have any ideas on the gospel for tomorrow, we're going to be talking afterwards. You're never taller than when you're on your knees. Man, that's a good line. Holy smokes. Sheesh. All right, so you start off your comments by saying the most important thing tonight and in my mind, I finished the sentence with, is that the wine is over there. So um, you said prayer, which is the very, of course, the most important thing. But I promise you, though, if you have more wine, the funnier we will be and the more insightful we'll be. Hey, my parishioners. Hey, guys. Hey, good to see you. Good to see you here. Uh, the more insightful we will be, the funnier. I just, 
I don't see anybody going to refill their glasses. Uh, uh, just, uh, yeah, my man, okay. All right, so. Well, guys, thank you so much for having us. This is really exciting. This is a really, really uh, awesome event. I, this is the second time you've done this? Third time? Fourth? How many times have you done this? Well, first since COVID. Ah, yeah, okay. Yeah, take that, COVID. Ha! Get out of here. We're getting back together. This is good. The band's back together. This is great. So this is, to my mind, this is one of the most important things we can do, right? This is one of the most important things we can do to get together, to have some intentional time thinking about, praying about, reflecting on how to hand the faith on to the next generation, how to hand on the faith to the next generation. So yeah, thanks for being here. Thanks for taking the time out to reflect on all this. So one of the things that I get to do that's a real blessing in my, in my ministry, so I'm in my second assignment. I'm at a parish called, uh, as you heard, Sacred Heart of Jesus in Wadsworth. My first assignment was at uh, Communion of Saints in Cleveland Heights. And one of the things I've gotten a chance to do a lot is, is marriage prep. And uh, there's a lot of priests who loathe doing marriage prep. I love marriage prep. And because uh, it's an opportunity. Yeah, of course, you spend a lot of time reflecting on the couple with, you know, about their wounds, their past, just looking at the story of the scriptures, all these things, looking at the bigger picture of marriage. One of the things I tell my couples all the time is that, like, my job is not just simply to prepare you for each other for this sacrament. My job is to, like, to prepare you for the sake of the family that doesn't exist yet between you. Whoa, we're getting hotter up in here. Hot mic. Okay. Is that okay? Is this okay? All right. Hello. All right. So I have this image of the couple sitting in front of me, and I, I tell them, like, I have also in my mind the children that do not yet exist that it's for their sake that I'm really pushing you. I'm really pushing you to really delve into this because we need our couples to become holy couples, to raise holy children, right? We hear about the vocation crisis, and automatically people's minds go to priesthood, to religious life. And of course that's a vocation crisis. Of course, like, it's, it's a dire situation. It's really not good. If you've got sons, just send them to the vocation director. Just, you don't have any options. <laughs> we need men. <laughs> All right, so... Seriously. Um, that's obviously a vocation crisis. But the vocation crisis is within marriages, right? It really is. Like, we have a huge problem with so, I mean, it's not 50%. That's a, that's a made-up statistic. It's less than that. It's, but it's not an impressive statistic. It's around 40-something percent of our, even our Catholic couples whose marriages end in divorce. We don't have Catholics who are living holy, vibrant, passionately beautiful marriages. We have them living very average American marriages and that doesn't, that doesn't inspire heroic greatness in kids. It doesn't inspire the faith. So that's what we need to be focusing on. That's what we need to be focusing on. So it's so good that we're here because we're living in an, a time of unprecedented, unprecedented? Did I add an extra syllable in there? Might have. <laughs> unprecedented evil. We know it. You know it, right? You see it in the news. You see it. You just scroll through Twitter. You just open the newspaper. Um, and it's there. It's, uh, it's there, you know? Part of the problem that we're living in is a culture, especially as a church, it's not just simply that, you know, we're dealing with the evils, the moral evils in the culture. It's not just simply that, that you're having to contend with. We're living in a, a shift. We've just experienced in many ways a massive shift of the ages, right? So we can think of the church more or less throughout history existing in two fundamental modes. What we might call an apostolic mode and the other we might call a Christendom mode. Right, so the apostolic mode would be this idea that the church is moving into the culture, proposing the gospel, sharing the gospel into a culture that doesn't know the gospel. Right? It's sharing the gospel into a culture whose 
vision of reality, who's like the, the guiding narrative of how they organize their thoughts and world, it's not influenced by Christianity. So in the apostolic age, the church is running kind of fast and lean with intense faith, and you got martyrdom and all this stuff. But the thing is, as the church becomes more successful in that, as she like insinuates the gospel into all these different parts of society, what you have is the gospel starts to take root and transforms the culture. And you kind of shift into what we call the Christendom mode, where the culture, the surrounding culture, is imbued with the vision of the gospel. It's imbued with the values of Christianity. It's all in the air, so to speak, right? The milieu, if you will, right? This is where the wine would have helped on that one. There's more French jokes coming your way, so just you wait. It's in the culture. It's in there. It's all in there, right? And uh, here's the problem, though, right? So within the last, like, 10, 20, 30 years, we have so quickly shifted from a Christendom society into an apostolic society that all of the surrounding values and systems that were bolstered by, infused with Christian values, they're gone. They are gone. So what used to be good enough 10, 20, 30 years ago for raising your kids is just woefully inadequate now, right? It used to be enough to just like, we just go to mass on Sundays and I send my kids to Catholic school or I send them to PSR or CCD, right? And we pray before we eat and they'll be Catholic. That's what I did. That's what we did growing up, right? My kids will be Catholic. It's not enough anymore. It's not enough anymore. So from, uh, from a book that bears the same title, From Christendom to Apostolic Mission, listen to this quote. This is so great. Speaking of the difference between these two modalities, it's the difference between floating a canoe downriver with the occasional guiding push in the Christendom mode or steering it upriver against the current with energetic strokes. It's the apostolic mode. What happens when the rowing stops is quite different in the two cases. Those who think the current is going their way when in fact it is against them, will be surprised to find themselves rushing along in a direction they did not intend. And one of the saddest things, and I'm sure this is a story representative of folks in this room, one of the saddest things I hear as a priest over and over again from parents is, what happened to my kids? Like, we, we, we thought we did all the right things. We sent them to Catholic school. We, we prayed. We taught them about Jesus. And they are miles from the church. Miles. Because what used to be adequate is no longer adequate. We have to be so much more intentional. And being here tonight, this is, this is part of that. We have to be so much more intentional. And we look at our culture today, we're not merely preparing kids to like, live in a secular, post-Christian society. You're preparing your kids to live in an like, anti-Christian society, right? It's not just like a society that has... has rejected the gospel. It's a society that's not only rejected the gospel, but a, like, grasped onto a different gospel, a different view of reality. It's competing religions is really what it is. Like a sort of progressive, mythic sort of view of reality. It is, it's a competing view of the human person, a competing view of what salvation is. It's a very different world. It's a very different world. We've got to be so much more intentional about it, which is why so many parents like so many good parents in this room, I'm sure, feel this like pressure, this like sort of angst, this like, oh, I gotta get it right. I don't want my kids to go. I'm gonna stand before St. Peter and be like, I went to the God, I want my kids are in hell. Like, right? He's like, I gave you those souls. What'd you do with them? Like, there's such a fear. There's such a fear. There's such a 
We want to get this right. I get it. You want to get it right. You want to get it right. But here's what, here's what we got to do. We got to pump the brakes, like take a deep breath and realize a few things. This is what I want to share first before we really get going. First of all, the Lord loves your kids more than you love your kids. If you forget that, if you don't hear anything else tonight and you hear that, we're good. Like, the Lord loves them more than you love them. And he wants them in eternity more than you want them in eternity. Like the good eternity, not the bad eternity. Like he wants them with him, right? He wants them. And he's endlessly creative at bringing about their good. He's not like, all right, I've got like three tricks up my sleeve for Tommy over here. And like, hopefully this one's going to take, you know? He's in college. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw him rock bottom. and he's gonna, He better meet me there. No, like he's Jesus, the Lord, the Holy Spirit, endlessly creative in bringing about the good. So like, deep breath. You're already probably doing a great job. And the Lord has got you. He's got them. He's got them. He knew what he was doing. He knows what he's doing. He's not nervous right now. Like, the world's nervous. We're all nervous. Who knows what's going to happen with Russia and Ukraine and probably the next war that's coming around the bend. Like, who knows? Like, the world is crazy. But he's not sitting on the throne going like, oh, my, me, I don't know what to do. You know, like, he's like, I got this. I got this. He's not nervous. He's not at all nervous. They had some wine. All right, over here. Here's another thing, too, that's like, just listen to this. Like, the Lord knew, like, he knew the timing for all of us to exist. You probably have heard this or seen it on like a Twitter tweet or something or on Instagram or whatever. But like that, that quote from, um, I think it's Esther, right? We were made for such a time as this. Like that has been like floating up, right? Everyone's like rediscovering the book of Esther. Like, oh, that's a good book. That's a good quote. But it's true. It's true. Like you don't happen to exist right now on accident. Same with your kids. It's not like it's like, yeah, they could have been medieval peasants, but let's put them in the year 2022, right? Like, he, you're intentionally here. You're intentionally here. It was Maximilian Kolbe who said prophetically, he said, the saints of the next era of the church are going to tower like cedars over the great saints of old. Yeah, like, what the heck does that mean? Like, like, like Teresa of Avila, monster saint. John of the Cross, monster saint. Francis of Assisi. Like, they're going to look like little shrubbies down there. Like, hey, Teresa of Avila. <laughs> you know, like, that's why I'm not going to do to kick a Teresa of Avila. <laughs> but, like, that's amazing. Like, unprecedented evil, the Lord's unleashing unprecedented grace, right? This is, there's never been an easier, well, easier. There's never been a greater time to be a saint, amen? Like, this is an amazing time to be a saint. So, really super excited to be with you guys tonight. Um, to just some, share some thoughts. We, uh, if you brought like pen and paper tonight, you're thinking like, okay, I'm going to write down, this will be like top 10 list, the checklist of how to raise kids Catholic. Just put the paper away. Like we're not, I don't got that tonight for you. Right? You called us experts. I was like, oh gosh. I'm only an expert in my own sin. So that's about all I'm an expert in. So yeah, there's no checklist. There's no checklist. Um, but Mark and Lauren and I, we've shared a lot of life together, and it's just a really awesome joy for me to be able to, sh- like, to present with them. You know, Mark's going to talk about our story a little bit, but, uh, I mean, I've known them since, oh, oh, oh. yeah, all right, so I had hair when I first met them. That's how long ago it was. And Mark didn't have grays in his beard. And Lauren looked the same. All right, so 
the, uh, yeah, we've shared a lot of life together. And it's been a great gift to be able to, like, I give talks, I come back, I share them with them. This is what happened. This is the first time we get to share, do ministry together. This is pretty cool for me to be able to do this with them. So, so tonight, yeah, it's not going to be this exhaustive list of, like, do these three things and your kids are going to be saints. Like, maybe, maybe not, right? Like, honest to God, it's... My parents didn't do anything for me, like being raised as a Catholic. I wasn't raised as a Catholic. I didn't go to Catholic schools. We didn't go to church. And I'm a priest. Like, so you're already probably doing more. Like, you're already good. Like, you're on the way. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So what we're going to just share tonight is just three kind of themes, three thoughts, three sort of topics. I, 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 I'm thinking about it like three pieces of gum we're going to give you to chew on tonight. First is just kind of talking about the domestic church, the whole idea of the domestic church. Uh, you know, St. John Paul II talked about the domestic church quite a bit, the idea of the family and just the intentionality of what that means. Living domestic church, that's the first sort of topic, just so you know where we're going. Topic two, as you kind of already heard alluded in the, uh, the intro to end all intros, that was so good. Um, the topic of fatherhood, right? The effect of fatherhood. And then the third thing that I, I want to share, it's, uh, I, I've been kind of chewing on this sort of, I don't know, some reflections about some, some stuff involving the heart. I've been thinking about some stuff with the heart for a couple months now, and I'm like, I got I to gotta share it with someone. So you get my like sort of first try half-baked thoughts on the heart and uh, so I hope it goes well. So that's number three. <laughs> Connecting the idea of our, our longing, what the Greeks call, what the church tradition calls eros, right? Eros, this longing, this desire in the heart. Um, connecting that more intentionally with the gospel, with Jesus. So uh, that's kind of where we're going. So, But a little bit more about us to give us some background about like why the three of us are up here. I'm going to turn over to Mark. He's going to give a little bit uh, of kind of the story. Do you need this or you got your stuff? I got my stuff. All right. Here you go. Great job, man. Hey, thanks. <laughs> So I'm really used to not drinking out of a plastic cup. I, I usually only drink my beverage from a Viking horn mug. This will do it for, for now. <laughs> right, my name is Mark Labota. I've been married to uh, Lauren. She's also known as the Life Coach Mama. Uh, 14 years, we have eight kids. And uh, you know, like a lot of you guys, I, I wear a lot of hats, right? So I got husband hat, I've got um, dad hat and yeah I'm unapologetically I am a police officer Woo! thanks <laughs> so it's interesting uh, people come up to me and I understand what's going on in the world right now and they come up to me and say man you got a lot of power and I correct them like it's not really power it's authority um, it's authority to enforce the law is what it is, not necessarily power, but you know, okay, whatever. So, okay. Okay. speaking of power, <laughs> <laughs> it's a sign. <laughs> okay, power. <laughs> Through me. All right, so I got, ner I got nervous. Hold on. All right, so. <laughs> In order to uh, get over nervousness, all right, you guys ever done this before? You'd say, I I'm so excited. Have you ever done that before? <laughs> it, tr it triggers something in the brain. It really does. So um, I am so excited to be here. Yeah! <laughs> Woo! 
I'm going to come back to the power versus the authority thing. Okay, you'll you'll see it. It'll all come together in a minute. Um, but what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you guys a, a police story. Everybody likes a good police story, right? Okay. All right. So, this is what happened a couple weeks ago. Remember when we had the four feet of snow, right? And overnight, they're calling for six inches. You know, they, uh, yeah, they were wrong again. So I'm out driving around, and I'm, I see a car flew off the roadway. Uh, I walk up to it, and uh, it's a 20-year-old young man. And uh, so I got my police hat on. So I do my thing, you know, I make sure he's not on snap face. You know, that's not like <laughs> off the road. Uh, he's not hurt, so I'm good. And he's like, hey, call me a tow truck. And I said, yeah, sure, do you know where you're at? And the mile marker sign's like, right there. And he looks at it, and he goes, no. And I said, all right, well, it's, we're at the 12.2. The 12 on top is the mile, the point two, you know, between the mile. Um, we're at the 12.2 on this road, and we're heading southbound. He goes, that's great. And he calls the tow guy, and he's, that's where I'm at. All right, good. So the guy's about 20 minutes out. I'm looking at the car, I'm like, man, that windshield's dirty. Dad hat comes on. I got him outside the car. We got the hood popped. We're making sure he's got washer fluid in there. There's no washer fluid. We got shoving snow in there. Can't help it. It's just what happens with me. Long story short, um, I didn't have my tire gauge on me, or we probably would have finished the entire safety inspection. <laughs> I gave him my business card. I said, you know, when you're free, call me, and I'll show you how we can change the headlight. It's, it's out. <laughs> that night, oh, I'm sorry, that day, he didn't deserve a ticket. What he deserved was a pat on the back. He tried. And a little roadside knowledge, um, no citation that day. He, he needed a little assistance, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So today, First of all, Father Patrick did have hair, a little bit at least, when we were <laughs> um, let's see. You uh, in the glasses, right there. Yeah, that stud man right there. Yes, the one who's much more handsomer than me. Can you grab me a bottle of wine to bring it up here? I'm getting a little <laughs> Thank you. There you go. One second. He thinks you're kidding. <laughs> So godparents, so we all have godparents for our kids, right? Right? Who's, who's in here as a dad? Okay, plus. All right, sorry, kids. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good. Oh, that's good right there. Oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. Father Patrick. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Round of applause, everyone. Thank you. Cheers to our godparents. Cheers. Oh, cheers. Ooh, that's a good wine. Nice choice. I can barely taste the elk. So, my godmother, when I was growing up, her name was Joyce. Oh, boy. Oh. Hold on. Just keep talking. Twist? Yeah. You just keep talking out there. Thank you. Yeah. Alright, so Joyce. Joyce is my godmother. Joyce, she, no matter what I did was wrong, she 
loved me. She was one of my first signs of love. I'm already in high school, and that was one of my first signs that you now you love someone. And so that, when I got married, and we were having kids, I'm like, man, I gotta get the cream of the crop from uh, God's parents to my kids. I gotta do it. We need reinforcements, right? <laughs> we need someone to back what we say, because our kids, they don't always listen to us, right? Oh, Dad, oh, Mom. Well, what, so what we did is we didn't just, we didn't just, you know, oh, hey, I'm gonna go choose um, my best friend from college. Um, we discerned. So we took it directly to prayer, by name, we are discerning so-and-so to be godparents. So we had, we already had uh, our daughter, Faustina, our son, Augustine, um, my son, Mario. Mario, right, doesn't fit. Mario, <laughs> Mario, Mario is adopted. So my wife, Lauren, met him when he was just a little baby in Honduras at the orphanage that she volunteered at. It took us a long time. But we finally were able to adopt him. By the time we were able to adopt him, he was almost 11 years old. Okay, so Mario is now in the picture. We have Augustine, who's six months old. Mario comes over. We get pregnant with twins. We basically almost had about four kids in 18 months. Okay, so now we're praying. We're having twins. They're coming. Um, God, godparents. What do we do? Do we have uh, one set of godparents for two of them? Do we have, you know, four godparents? How do we do this? So we're praying about it, praying, 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 and we're not getting a definitive answer. And one day, uh, Lauren's we're in church, and she goes, "Hey, how about how about Patrick Schultz?" And I said, "Who's Patrick Schultz?" <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know. I, I'd never met him before. And so she introduced me one day and we, you know, took the prayer. And something odd happened. I, I felt at peace. And I said, oh my goodness, that's him. He's going to be the godfather to Rose. I met him twice. But I, it was comfortable. Even when I told him, it was comfortable. And I told him, asked him. <laughs> and it worked. And it, and it worked beautifully. And it's and I got a friend, I got a buddy. I mean, he comes over once a week, we have a blast. Um, you know, having four kids in 18 months is a lot of work. I mean, we had three kids in diapers, right? Guess who got diaper experience? <laughs> <laughs> So seminarian Patrick at that time becomes Deacon Patrick and then becomes Father Patrick. Well, my kids, well, Patrick is a hard name for them to say. So Patrick turned into Bucket. <laughs> and then came into Trika, all right? So Patrika is, uh, my twins just adore him, so that's what they call him. But he became a staple in our household, you know. Uh, once a week, we knew he was coming over and I would feed him. I just loved feeding him, it was, it was great. I, yeah, that was one of the highlights of my week. Patrick's come over, I'm gonna beat him. <laughs> Me too. If you, <laughs> I mean, I mean honestly, if, if you can take a few minutes and get to know the seminarians in your parish, the priests in your parish, have them over, and it doesn't even have to be an official dinner. Have them over for well, we fed him hot dogs and mac and cheese for a long time. That's yeah. all the kids would eat. Get to know them. 
really get to know them. Break them out of their shell. They're going to be nervous. <laughs> so Father Bucket <laughs> now starts baptizing my kids. So Lauren and I, we, we have this, we had this agreement. So there's somebody named Father now coming over. Like, we're going to be ourselves. We have to be ourselves. We cannot put on a show. We are not perfect. It's not that I'm saying that we're going to just purposely fight and argue in front of him, but he's training, right? So we're like, well, what the heck? So we did. We're not on purpose. But if we would fight or argue, it's not like, oh, Father's here. Can't do this. Embarrassing. Right? We just did it. Very much. So I guess I'm telling you all of that to tell you this. If you get a chance to get to know your seminarians, your priests, have them over. Intertwine them into your families. My kids, you should see them light up when he comes over. Or they know that it's going to be Thursday. Now it's Thursday. So he comes over, bam, kids are in a better mood. It's fantastic. They are always climbing all over them. I love it. Absolutely love it. Um, and I'm going I'm to be very bold and say this. So... Father Patrick, he may never, ever, ever be a dad, okay? He is the best spiritual father I could ever have ever asked for for my kids. They are amongst, of all the children, are most richly blessed. I'm going to introduce you to Life Coach Mama, my wife Lauren. Great job, honey. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> I, don't think, I feel like you can't see me behind this. I'm a little shorter than the guys. So I'll come over here. So hey, so to talk about some ladies stuff, we had a couple of guys chat about priesthood and manly stuff. So any moms out there? <laughs> Okay, yeah, half of you. <laughs> I figured I'd tell a gushy, girly story. Is that okay? <laughs> so Mark mentioned our oldest daughter is Faustina, and she's 13 now. And 13 years ago, um, we were trying to come up, well, 14 years ago, we were trying to come up with a name for her. And uh, we came up with St. Faustina because Mark had given me the Divine Mercy, or the Diary of St. Faustina. And I actually never heard of her. I had never heard of St. Faustina before we met. And she really um, inspired me, and I felt so connected to her. It was so beautiful. So I said, if we have a girl, if we ever have a girl, I'd love to name her Faustina. And then we got pregnant, found it was a girl. So there you go. And no joke, I, I have friends, and Father Patrick can also confirm this is not a, uh, a joke. or It's a true story. I went into labor with her on a Friday at 3 a.m. and she was born at 3 p.m. Wow. Yeah, crazy. Um, and we noticed it later because I don't think at the time I was like, oh, it's the power of mercy. <laughs> I was a little preoccupied. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was pretty cool. So that's my cute girly mom story about St. Faustina. So. Uh, about Patrick now. <laughs> this is all about Patrick. Because um, <laughs> we love him so much. I just wanted to share what Mark said about bringing a seminarian into your home. Um, 
we have Faustina, like I said, and then three years later, um, we were pregnant with Augustine, as Mark mentioned, and I was in a Bible study group at St. Mary's in Hudson that I belong to. Uh, it's called Endow, uh, learning about the teachings. Um, it's a close of Holy Father. And I met Michelle, Michelle Schultz's Father Patrick's mom. And she was talking about her son, the seminarian. And I'm like, oh, how cute. Her son's <laughs> in the seminary. And, you know, at St. Mary's, we kind of brag. We have, I mean, seven in a row, but, you know. <laughs> Anyways, if you haven't heard, we have seven. <laughs> and everywhere we go, people are like, you're from St. Mary's? And we're like, yeah. Is <laughs> your son going to seminary? <laughs> yeah. Next question. Right? So there's been more since. There's more before. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's St. Mary's. <laughs> So, um, yeah, so anyways, it's like, oh, we have all these seminarians, we should really support them and, you know, at least get to know them. And let's be honest, don't tell Patrick, selfishly, we're like, let's invite the priests and the seminarians over so our kids will become, like, priests and nuns. <laughs> so let's just, like, find what they like to eat and, like, have them over and pretend we like them. <laughs> <laughs> Like make our kids super Catholic. You guys are supposed to laugh. I didn't okay, that's a joke. Not really. So, so we have Patrick over, but we, we fed him cheese sticks and peanut butter and jelly for a few years. Maybe so. And um, we tried to feed him well. But anyways, we, yeah, so we invited him over thinking like, we're so great. We're going to support him. And um, yeah, that's kind of how it all started. And as Mark said, he didn't really know who he was. Uh, when I mentioned him for a godfather, but I said, you know, I know his mom, and I know he's in the seminary, and um, as you can imagine, twins were born early, like a lot of twins are, so premature babies, and they were in the NICU for a little bit, and so I was in the hospital with them, and that can be a little unnerving if you haven't done that before. I'm sure you've been in the hospital or some medical situation where you felt a little anxious or whatnot, so I sent him a text one day uh, in the NICU with the twins, and um, we hadn't asked him yet. Have you asked? We hadn't asked him yet to be, okay. Sorry, I can't remember, baby brain. <laughs> I'm seven or whatever. So, um, <laughs> I'm not pregnant now. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry, I mean, I don't think so. I'm drinking wine. So, um, Skull, Mark. <laughs> Skull. I don't know. Patrick and I'm like, hey, I hear you're on this retreat for months or weeks mm -hmm. somewhere, and you're doing like nothing but praying. Like, what do you do anyway? So, um, pray for me and pray for these babies. And he's like, well, what's going on? And I'm like, well, one of them isn't really like breathing, and um, yeah, her heart starts beating. He's like, wow, those are kind of important things. <laughs> and uh, so that's what, that's what you said. <laughs> and that was actually Rose, which ended up being his, his goddaughter, but. He said, um, well, I would tell you to be strong, but you should be weak. And I was like, what the? <laughs> this is supposed to make me feel better. And then he's like, you know, it's not in our strength, right, that we find the Lord or that we... Um... He said it so much more eloquently. That's why he's the priest. But anyways, he <laughs> said, like, you should go to the Lord in your weakness, and that's where you'll find him and... I know you can tell the story later, but that's so I was like, I love his spirituality. How beautiful. And that's so 
like, whoa. But it's so great when someone can teach you a different way to think of our Lord. And obviously as a priest, he does that so well. So that was like a really big thing for me. And that's when I mentioned to Mark about, about Patrick, just how awesome he was. And, um, yeah, Mark said it all. We've become friends. Obviously we're still friends and the twins, I don't know if we said they're, they're eight and a half. So Mm -hmm. it's been eight and a half years now. Um, and we've celebrated holidays and birthdays and gone on vacation and he's put up with us and helped us through a lot, um, baptisms and, um, one really awesome thing, um, don't ask him for his phone number, he's, he's busy, um, can't do this for everyone, but he'll have mass for us sometimes. <laughs> so maybe your priest could do that for you, or um, if you ever feel like you need to confess, it's always nice to have a priest friend over, right? So that's awesome too. And um, yeah, I think my part's over, honey. I know, it's Patrick's turn to come up. Yeah, you did great. Thanks. Especially the part about me being great. That was great. So, now I'd like to talk about me. No, I'm just kidding. No, I, um, part, part of why I wanted us to share that part of our story is that it, I think it is kind of unique. And, uh, and I don't want it to be unique anymore. I, I think that, that in, the, in this effort of evangelization, this effort of trying to raise good families, and this effort of all trying to bring holiness into your homes and all that, if we, it starts in the priest. I know that sounds maybe priestly, chauvinistically, or what's the word, clericalism? I don't know. But like, if we don't have holy priests, priests are supposed to be the spiritual fathers of the parishes. We're supposed to be the father, like fathering the fathers and fathering the families, right? Most guys in the seminary don't have a real clear image of what fatherhood is. I'm just going to be really honest with you. Right? Like, I learned to be a spiritual father by witnessing Mark's fatherhood and watching Lauren and her motherhood. Like, I, I couldn't, my priesthood is unthinkable apart from their family. Like, I attended Borromeo and St. Mary's Seminary, and I also attended, like, Laboda Seminary. Like, very much, like, very much. It was so formative. And, like, you have seminarians in your diocese, you have priests in your diocese. Like, bring them into your homes. The, the effect on your kids will be massive. Like, this, you know, sociologist statistics, they talk about one of the most influential factors about your children's carrying their faith into adulthood is the influence of a non-parental adult investing in your kids who like embodies the faith. So like do that, okay? So like if you want a check mark, that's your check mark, right? <laughs> so that's that's our story. I mean, I think it's a very important story and I just I hope it can become your story, right? I hope it can become more people's story because it's it's completely changed my life and it's it's totally changed and shaped my entire priesthood. Um, I wouldn't know how to be a, or like what to be as a spiritual father. I remember thinking one time that if my, if my, when I'm living my priesthood, if it begins to be so like different than Mark's fatherhood, I'm doing something wrong. Like my priesthood should still feel as kind of fatherly. Like I should be able to tell the similar-ish war stories as Mark as a dad, right? That's how I know I'm doing something right as a priest. It should still, it should be fatherly. It should be fatherly. So speaking of this whole idea of like fatherly and family and all this stuff, we want to transition to this whole point about the domestic church. JP too, he taught that the family is the domestic church. And I think a lot of Catholic couples, when they hear that, they think this, that they think that the family needs to be the place where a lot of prayers are prayed. And that's true, but not the heart of it. It's not the heart of it. Like by domestic church, he didn't mean like the place where a lot of mini liturgies take place. He meant it's the school of love. It's the school of love. It's where love is learned. It's where love is experienced. It's where love is first tasted. 
It's where we learn forgiveness and sharing and compromise and reconciliation. It's the school of love. And it begins, the first witness of it, the foundation of it, is first and foremost the witness of, of mom and dad. Like your love as a couple is the foundation of this school of love. If that's not poured into, the whole thing is going to go off, right? If here, here's the thing, right? If you want to raise your kids Catholic, love your spouse better, all right? Like if you want to raise your kids Catholic, seek to love your spouse better. Like your love as a spouse, your love as a spouse, your witness as a spouse is, it is so, so, so critical. One of the things I've learned about family life from a lot of the families that I've, I've shared life with, but especially Mark and Lauren, is that family life is a beautiful mess. <laughs> it's a beautiful mess. It's a beautiful mess. We have to always remember our Lord first chose a stinky stable as his first place to abide. That's where he abides. He abides in your mess. So I'm going to invite them back up to share about the domestic church and living all of that and what that looks like. It makes me feel so much better when I don't clean up now when he comes in. <laughs> the other day I was like, well, I was going to clean when I take a shower. He's like, that's no different than any other time. I don't know why you would do that. I was like, yeah, I don't know why I just said that. Um, so the domestic church... Um, I think that one thing we like to do is just incorporate the faith into something fun and also social uh, for the kids and for ourselves, Mark and I. And one thing we did with the shutdown and you know people weren't getting together and the churches, some churches weren't doing anything, um, we wanted to get our friends together to pray the rosary. And um, we really have to give credit to Bridget and Dan over here. They came from Hudson to be here tonight. Say hi. <laughs> they really inspired us because their family prays the rosary every night. Um, and we try to do a Hail Mary, but usually end up like swearing or hitting something. Um, if I'm being honest. <laughs> you can ask Patrick, we can't tell you. <laughs> Sealed confession. Um, so I was like, how come Dan and Bridget like pray the rosary every, like the whole rosary? I don't even know. If, yeah. So um, we were just really inspired by them. They're great. And Mark's like, well, maybe if we got, like, other kids together and other couples. I said, oh, that's a great idea. So we really just asked some friends, and I think it was even before COVID, um, just to have dinner and pray the rosary. Anyways, long story short, the next month, we're like, let's do it again. And then I think after that, it was, like, January, February 2020, and then March of 2020, and it's like, oh, well, we can't get together because we're all going to die. Um, and then, like, April 2020, we're like, let's just get together. So... Um, <laughs> Um, yeah, sorry. I can tell that now. I don't know if it was illegal, but you guys will... Oh, wait, this is on Slaking Thirst. People are listening. Okay, so anyway. Your husband's a cop. <laughs> um, so we've been getting together for almost two years now, and it's this great group. Um, so Bridget and Dan are godparents of another one of our kids, Frank, and uh, Jen and Matt. Matt, say hi. Jen's holding hi. Patrick, um, the baby named after Father Patrick, uh, they're godparents of baby Patrick. So, hi, Jen. Thanks for babysitting wherever you are. So, they're also part of our uh, rosary group. So, it's about 15, 20 families. I mean, sometimes, like, five come. I don't really know how many come because we all have, like, 10 kids. So, it's, like, 100 kids. <laughs> right? I don't know. Do you guys know? We'll, we'll figure that out. So, anyways, this is, you know, our families. Everyone's invited. Different people have come throughout the last two years. But it's, like, the same group. And then it ends up the guys I found out. Like two, well, like a year and a half later, there's a 
dad thread, text thread. Obviously, I don't, I'm not in it. Anyways, because so, I'll find out from the wives that the dads are doing something. I'm like, how are they communicating? But I guess they can text. <laughs> so there's like a t there's there's a lot that's my point is there's a lot that's come out of it. So the guys have a friendship that's been either formed, started, or just strengthened. And then of course us girls, I mean sometimes we talk, maybe <laughs> we talk a lot. So um, the girls get together and the kids. But it's just been so beautiful because what it's shown, I think our kids, even maybe without knowing it, is that you can pray anywhere. And then if something ever were to happen again, if you can't go to church, you can pray at home. And of course, we need the sacraments. We all believe that. But just to be able to do it where it's possible, where it's convenient. And then also, like, no matter what happens with COVID or politics, like, we always have our friends. Like, our friends still are going to come over. Um, your friends, our adult friends. Um, it's just been so great. Did I say everything I was supposed to? Yeah. Okay. You look so handsome. I saw that in the notes. Okay. <laughs> I got access to her notes. <laughs> yeah, so when the pandemic hit and all that, we I was really hoping for like two or three families to get together and, and do a rosary. Um, and I, I had this whole platform of how I was going to go. And then all of a sudden, like she said, there was a hundred kids at the house. Um, but it was very, it was very interesting of what happened to our kids. Uh, you tell them, hey kids, it's family rosary night. They'd start screaming, they'd love it. They can't wait, all their friends are gonna be there. Right, so we have like you know, 20 or 30 minutes, let everyone settle in, grab a little snack. And we made the announcement, the rosary's about to start after two or three sessions. I mean, dead silence, we, we have an outdoor fire pit, to the fire pit. Uh, first four decades led by a parent. Um, prefer, I prefer the dads, and a lot of times the dads, doesn't, they don't really know what to do. So it's awesome though, because the kids are just magnets, right? And then the fifth decade is that's when the, the kids practice time, and the kids lead the fifth decade. Now it sounds like a bunch of zombies, but they're actually saying the decade out loud. You know, they, you know in a group, they're, they're all wild, and they get to the Hail Mary. Full of, and so the parents have to suffer through it. <laughs> but it's training, right? And I believe that that rosary group brought us through the Rona. And what I mean by that, and I'm saying none of us got sick. So we all got sick, but we never got we never got down. We never we never got angry. Um, we never lost hope, and we were still eager to praise God. We were still eager to praise God. The rosary is very, very powerful. Very powerful. That's what I'm going to end with here. Mm. We're going to move on. I think okay. that's good. Yep. All right. So I'm going to add a few thoughts, and we're going to take our little break here. Um, the uh, Sorry. get out of your way, <laughs> lay people. <laughs> so, I mentioned it, I mentioned in my remarks here at the beginning that it's just you loving your spouse is such a critical thing for your kids to see. Why? 
Because our faith is a romance. Our faith is a love story. Right? The heart of the gospel, Pope John Paul II said, Ephesians 5 is the summation, the summary of the gospel. Right? Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives respect your husbands. The heart of the gospel is relationship between Christ the bridegroom and the church the bride. Right? That's the heart of the gospel. And if your kids don't see the embodied love of bridegroom and bride in you, they will not understand what bridegroom and bride love is. Like you are the first icons for your kids to see and understand the dynamic of Christ's love to the church. That's huge. That's so huge. Like I have a very vivid memory of like, like seeing my parents hold hands for the first time and like, like walking on a vacation. Like, it's like burned in my memory, being like, oh my gosh, like, dad loves mom? (laughs) Holy smokes. That's so amazing, right? Like, and it wasn't like this kind of hand, it was like interlocked fingers, right? Like, the first time I did that in sixth grade, I was like, like, my heart was. But yeah, that's branded in my mind. Like the way you greet each other, the way you like relate to each other, the, the affections, the out in public, the PDA, right? Like all of it, like the kissing, the relationship, the hand, the hugs, all of it. All of that speaks. All of it is an icon. All of it is pointing to and revealing Christ's love for the church. And if you don't embody it up close and personal right there for your kids to see, they're just not going to grasp it. All right, so let's land in prayer. We're going to take a quick intermission, right? And then come back. You got to get more wine if there's more wine. All right, let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord Jesus, help us to receive more deeply what we've already received. Lord, thank you for this night. We praise you. We love you. Amen. Also, at the end this evening, there is going to be a Q&A. So if you have any questions, just kind of maybe be thinking that you would like to ask any of our speakers, they will be available for that Q&A panel. And I heard Lauren mention, and I forgot to say it, about Father's Podcast. If you're interested in hearing Father's really fiery sermons, his homilies and messages, you can go to Slaking Thirst. It's S-L-A-K-I-N-G, Slaking Thirst Podcast, and that's, I think, heard wherever podcasts are available. So with that, let's jump on in again. Father? Great. Thank you. You're welcome. All right, now we got more wine, now the fun stuff. We save the good wine till the end, right? Just like Jesus. All right. All right, so... um, Guys, first of all, this has just been fun. This is really great. Thanks for having us. We're just having a fun time, so <laughs> just enjoying it. Um, which is funny because, like, when I was praying about this early in the day, like, I was sitting in front of Jesus. I had just, like, this knot in my stomach. I'm like, I'm so anxious about tonight. What the heck is this, Lord? And, like, I was, like, praying to the Blessed Mother. I was asking for her intercession. She, like, every time I turn to Mary, everything just, like, all the clouds always part. She's like, you're just going to have fun. And, like, I walked in here. I'm like... Oh yeah, this is just fun. This is good. This is good. All right. So what I want to uh, I want to turn our attention now to the, um, the the our second sort of main sort of uh, topic. This whole idea of of uh, as we heard at the beginning, the impact of fatherhood. The impact of fatherhood. There is so so many amazing resources in this area. It's it's a very it's a growing body of literature in the church, and there's more podcasts on it, more talks on it, um, more books being written about. The impact of fatherhood and, you know, the crisis of masculinity in the church and the culture, all that stuff. Um, fatherhood has been, has been a very huge issue in my own heart, a central issue in my own heart for many years. I mean, it was, a, it was as I was going through seminary, right, you're, uh, you know, go through undergraduate seminary. And 
one of my best friends at the time, he got married, and I was a, I was a groomsman in, uh, in his wedding right after, right after college. And seeing my buddy get married to his high school sweetheart, it knocked down a door in my heart that I didn't even know was there. Just seeing my big dude buddy, this football player guy, getting just leveled on the dance floor by his like five foot nothing wife. He's crying, and I'm just standing there like I'm a seminarian, I'm a groomsman, and I'm just like, what is happening inside of me, right? Like, it just awoke this longing for spousal love. It awoke this longing to be a, to be a husband. After that, I went to the Right to Life March as a seminarian in, in, uh, in you know, D.C., as, as uh, many of you have probably gone. And there was this whole display that the Sister's Life had put on. I'll spare you the whole story, but just suffice it to say, that whole experience awoke this crazy longing in my heart that had been dormant to be a dad. Like, I, I remember coming back from the trip, coming back to the seminary, feeling like just very keenly aware of this desire, this longing to be a dad. And... Um, I remember thinking, like, what am I doing in the seminary? <laughs> like, like, this is the you're on the conveyor belt that turns you into a thing that's not, you're not going to be a dad, right? Like, at the end of this conveyor belt, it's like, celibate, right? Like, you've got to get out of here, right? So the whole, the whole I come back to the seminary, and uh, all of the, like, it's just, I just sat with this huge, gaping, open ache, this longing to be a spouse, this longing to be a dad, I didn't see it modeled in the priest formators that I had, just to be totally honest. I saw them as professors. I saw them as faculty. I didn't see them as dads. I didn't see them as dads. But, like, that's my, that's priests, that's our first and fundamental identity. Like, we might be presiders, we might be liturgical experts, we might be spiritual directors, we might be spiritual counselors, but at the end of the day, when you see me, you greet me as Father. Father. And there's so many of us who don't know what it means to be a father, right? And, like, that's, that's our first and fundamental identity as priests. And um, so I wrestled with this question of fatherhood and spiritual fatherhood. What does it mean to be a spiritual father, right? Lauren mentioned I was away on this week-long, several weeks-long experience. It was called Institute for Priestly Formation, this 10-week-long spirituality intensive out in Creighton University in Omaha, it awoke in my heart this whole understanding, like, oh, I under, like spiritual fatherhood is not like a sort of ersatz fatherhood. It's like, it's the most real fatherhood, right? The spiritual is more real than the physical. The spiritual is more real than the natural. So, like, the fatherhood that I experience as a priest, it's more potent, more efficacious, more life-giving than all you dads out there. So. <laughs> But in the crazy mysticism, the crazy design of our God, he's given priests a fatherhood and fathers a priesthood. It's this crazy thing that he's done. It's this crazy thing that he's done. So I, like wrestling with fatherhood has been a huge part of my heart. I wrote my master's thesis on it. I wanted to understand what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a father? And to be totally honest, a huge part of that came from witnessing and living and sharing life with, with Mark and Lauren, especially Mark. Like I was so impacted um, by the kind of fatherhood that I witnessed in him, in him. I was so impacted by the kind of strength and power and tenderness and weakness that I witnessed in him. I don't know if, he, I don't know if you're going to share this. But I'm going to share. I'm going to steal it from you if you're going to do it. All right. <laughs> I'll never forget this one day. Uh, I come into the house, and uh, he's sitting on the floor. Mind you, he's a cop, right? He fights bad guys, right? <laughs> Gun on the hip, tackling bad guys is what he does for a living. He's sitting on the floor, and one of his daughters is painting his toenails. <laughs> Like a lovely shade of purple, right? <laughs> so the toenails dry, right? And uh, he has to go to work that night. He was still on night shift. 
So he puts on a sock. He goes downstairs, puts on his uniform sock on that foot with the toenail polished still on it. And then that foot goes in the steel toe boot. And he goes out and fights the bad guys with the, like purple toenails under a steel toe boot. That's fatherhood. That's authentic manhood in my heart right there for, for all of us right there. That's, that's the capacity to be so affected by, by love and to like, have that be the impetus that like, drives you forth into battle. Right? You talk about battle. Right? Like, what's the thing that, that harnesses the energy? It's the love that's been so deeply affected in the man's heart. Right? What's gotten in? What's gotten in is what motivates what pushes him out. So fatherhood, manhood, all of these things, like when you look at, when you look at the great saints of our church, um, the influence of dad is, is paramount. John Paul II talks about the witness of his own dad, seeing his dad kneeling at the bedside, praying long vigils into the night. There's a huge impact on him. This book, I imagine, I haven't read it. Here it's one of the greatest books of all time. Right? You said <laughs> Pick this book up, read it. I bet you'll hear stories in here about amazing dads, right? Parents of the Saints, The Hidden Heroes Behind Our Favorite Saints by Patrick O'Hearn. Hearn? Patrick O'Hearn. He's got a great first name. I'll tell him that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's, uh, there's so much research in this area that, like, this is not a knock to moms, but statistically, sociologically, the most influential factor that predicts a child's faith carrying into adulthood is the faith of, the, of dad, right? It's just, it's, it is what it is, right? It is what it is. There's so much, there's so much we want to uh, hone in on this, uh, but I, I just want to turn it over to Mark for him to share a few thoughts, a few comments about the impact of fatherhood and what that means for, yeah, kids. Thank you, Father. Okay, this will only just be a minute. I just want a couple key points to hit at. Um, because I want to hear him speak more. <laughs> okay, so on the topic of your kids seeing you love your wife, all right, so I'm talking to you dads out here, right? Um, they got to see it. Um, in fact, <laughs> uh, we have, uh, so, so uh, here's an example, and you'll see why I'm a little, mm, so Lauren puts on a little makeup, right? And then I go, go hey, a little makeup. <laughs> My 10-year-old son, Augie, goes, <laughs> It's about five times a day now. Learned it from dad. And uh, even uh, he gives me a high five sometimes. <laughs> Never stop flirting with your wife. Being in public, wherever, church, from 50 feet away in the middle of a church parking lot, don't be afraid to ask your wife if she's single. That's, my wife hates that. Oh, she came down here. I was in here for about five minutes, and then she came in the doors, and I said, Hey, lady, you single? <laughs> she was carrying the baby? She was carrying the baby. Yes. Sign of the times, Mark. The kids see our sacrifice, whether they'll acknowledge it or not. Um, me working night shift, it did a, a number on my body. 
Um, I, I gained a ton of weight. I, my back is, is jacked up. Um, they've seen uh, Lauren go through the pregnancies. They've seen you know, a lot. Um, they may not respect us for it now. They will later. Um, but we do it for them. Um, our oldest daughter, Faustina, uh, we call her Nina. Um, she's really intuitive. She's really in touch. She sees it. She sees it all now. It's very, very interesting. So I want to talk, I want to go back to um, power and authority. So as a police officer, I have authority, right? As fathers, grandfathers, uh, we have power and authority, prayer over our children. The impact is so much that I cannot, I, I, maybe father can do it, but I can't, I can't even express it in words. I remember the times my father would bless me before going out when I was in high school. Um, I don't remember if it was a new thing, but I do remember it being an impactful thing. Maybe it was my vulnerability. Maybe it was because I was in high school. Um, but they, they, my kids, my kids, they love it. And I'm going to teach it to you. The benediction. The, um, the benediction is my favorite. Um, it starts in chapter 24 of uh, the book of Numbers. And this is... And this is the reason for the benediction. It's a, it's a blessing. It's a prayer. For usually at the end of a service, for end of a wedding, uh, the, uh, uh, the end of a funeral, it's to say basically goodbye. And then it's what the priest does. It, it blesses everybody. Um, uh, and this is how it goes. And this is how I do it with my children. Okay? The whole thing goes, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So to get them involved, you get them to say amen. So you are going to be my children. Okay? The Lord bless you and keep you. Amen. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. Amen. And the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Then you take your thumb, you put it on their forehead, you bless them, and you kiss them goodnight. And they ask for it. And I don't think they'll ever stop asking. I can see myself as a grandfather doing this, FaceTiming or whatever. Well, all my kids are going to live with me, you know, their thoughts. <laughs> Grandkids. Look at her face. But, oh, yeah, she loves it. Power and authority. Anything you take home from me today, it's power and authority. And even sometimes as men, we feel weak. We feel vulnerable. We don't want to show it. Understand the power and authority that you have over your children through prayer is unbelievable. Do it, you'll see results in 30 days. <laughs> the vulnerability and tenderness of prayer. Your kids will see it. One day they'll understand it, and one day they'll do it. And that's what I got for you guys tonight. So thank you very much for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah, JP2 said that, um, fathers, your mission is to relive and reveal on earth the fatherhood of God. Tall order, yeah? Um, God's fatherhood is both powerful, it's other, it's intense, it's 
It's big, but it's also so tender. It's also so precious. It stoops down. Book of Hosea. Just read Hosea, right? I lift you up to my cheek as one holding an infant. Look at Ben back there. Right? That right there. You're doing great. Cora's like, I'm going to eat your face. Yeah. That's it. Like, you have to model both. You have to model both. And I think so sadly for many of us, we were, we were given a one-sided dimension of fatherhood, right? You have, to, you have to express, you have to reveal both the tenderness and the strength, the weakness and the power. It has to go together. It has to go together, right? All right, so um, I want to just land the plane with just a, some reflection, my half-baked thoughts on this whole thing with the heart, arrows, and the gospel. Can we do that? You doing good? You still with me? Okay, all right. The wine's, I think, empty, which is a good sign. All right. So, uh, so this is going to be so insightful and hilarious. All right. Which is perfect because I'm not exactly sure what I'm saying. All right. So the, um, many, I think most Catholics' experience of the faith is, I'll say this as a priest, I think most Catholics' experience of the faith is, is that it's kind of boring. It's kind of boring. Here's, here's kind of what I mean. So every Sunday, whether you go to daily mass or Sunday mass, deacons, deacon gets up there, proclaims the gospel, father gets up there, proclaims the gospel. He finishes it, they say the gospel of the Lord, the congregation responds. That's about what it sounds like to me, too, on an average Sunday. Praise to you, Lord Jesus. What? Who? Thanks be. Well, I don't even know. Other donuts? Oh, so. okay. Yeah, okay. So, let's just, like, wrap our heads around this. So, I, you have just heard the gospel. Who knows what the word gospel means? It's, it is the truth, but it's not what the word means. It means good news. It comes from the Greek word euangelion, right? Euangelion. Euangelion, it's not a church word. It was a word that the church, early church grabbed from the Greco-Roman military world, right? Euangelion was what the Roman emperor did. And when he defeated some massive army, when he conquered a new section of territory, they would send angeloi, messengers, where we get the word angels, he would send angeloi to the all parts of the empire to say, we just won a definitive battle. This is a military word. It's the declaration, the proclamation that something massive has just happened. We have won. There's a new king on the throne. There's victory. So you just heard the gospel. It's not just news. It's not just like, that's good news. It's life-changing news. It's the most incredible news. Right? The gospel is not boring. Like, Catholicism is not boring. There's only boring Catholics. <laughs> Amen? All right. It's not. And what we've done, Peter Kreef said, said it this way. We've, done, we've, we've undone the miracle of Cana. We've taken the wine of the gospel, turned it back into water. Or better yet, we've like let it turn into vinegar, right? We've just like, we've just turned the most fascinating, the most interesting, the most beautiful human being that's ever lived, Jesus, and we've turned him into like Mr. Rogers, like who just is like, just be nice, get along. And he takes his sandals off one at a time. It's <laughs> on that card again. Like suddenly saw the whole thing in my mind. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's what we've done. That's what we've done. We have, we have, yeah, we've got a real problem. We've got a real problem. Like there's a disconnect. There's a massive disconnect in our, between our hearts and the gospel. And this, I'm, this is what I'm trying to get at. So 
at least the last several popes have been talking about evangelization, new evangelization, right? We have in our world today, especially in the church, we have more like evangelization content than any other era of the church ever. We got formed. It's like the Catholic Netflix. We got Augustine Institute. We've got Catholic radio. We've got books coming out your ears. You can't Amazon prime enough of them to your house. Like we've got We've got so much Catholic content, so much stuff, so much content, 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 right? Is that translating into more disciples? No. No, no it's not. It's not. The problem is not the content. The problem is that the content is not hitting the heart. We're not involving the heart. And what's the heart? The catechism calls the heart the center of the person. It's the place of decision. It's the place of passion. It's the locus of desire. Right? It's the locus of desire. Christianity, all is not the religion that squelches desire. Jesus didn't, he didn't say, I've come to give you life and make it boring. <laughs> he said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. When he makes bread, he makes too much of it. When he makes wine, he makes too much of it. When he multiplies fish, he makes too much of them. He sinks ships. Like... He's, he's the God of abundance, super abundance. Like the gospel is the, it's the news that there is, a, there is a banquet that corresponds to our deepest hunger. There's a banquet that corresponds to our deepest hunger. The problem is many of us have not heard that as like the gospel. What we hear, we go to mass, we hear something about the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Mosquito Bites and the Gigabites and like, <laughs> you like start glazing over. <laughs> Oh my God, this is so long, right? Like, who begot who, right? Like, we got a problem. We need to start engaging the heart. Thank God for wine. Yeah, that's right. It's a psalm. That's a psalm. All right, so how do I want to put this? You need to get more intentional as parents about bridging the things that moves your kids' hearts and Jesus. This is what I mean. You mentioned, like, the ice on the trees today, like the beauty of nature. Like, what is it that moves your kids' hearts? And I, and I don't care if it's not a churchy thing. Like, is it Ninjago? Is it, like, is it Power Rangers? Is it Moana? Is it Encanto? Like, God, come on, Encanto, right? Are you kidding me? All right. Like, what is it, what, what are the songs that they can't stop singing? What are the movie scenes that they want to watch? What is the stuff that makes their hearts race? What is the stuff that gets them excited? What's the, what's the things in nature that they're fascinated by? Like, is it leaves? Is it rocks? Is it fishing lures? Is it ponds? Is it ripples? Is it mud puddles? I don't care what it is. What is the stuff that moves your kids' hearts? Do Just, like, examination of parent conscience right now. Do you know what moves your kids' heart? Can you list five things? There's 10 things. Do you know what moves your kid's heart? Because this is the point. That's, that's God moving in them. Right? Think about the story of the road to Emmaus. You got the apostles, these, these disciples, walking away from Jerusalem, walking in the wrong direction. Right? Jesus comes up to them. They don't, they don't recognize him. He says, what are you guys talking about? Like, are you the only one who doesn't know what's happened all these days? And like... Jesus, like the divine eye roll, like, <laughs> what sort of things? <laughs> He's interested. He's interested. He wants to know what they're talking about. And they tell him. They get to Emmaus. They have the whole scene. They see him. They recognize him with the breaking of the bread. And what's the thing that they say? Were not our hearts 
burning. We're not our hearts burning. When do your kids' hearts burn? This is the question. When do your kids' hearts burn? And when that happens, do you connect it to Jesus? Do you connect it to Jesus? Like, we got to get out of this mindset, like, our kids can only watch Christian movies. They can only watch things on form. They can only, like, okay, maybe, fine, I don't know, whatever. I'm not really a parent to make that decision. But all I know is this. It was Holy Week three years ago. I'm proclaiming the passion narrative. It's Palm Sunday. And I'm up there. I'm like reading the Lord's passion. Jesus dying. And I'm just reading it like I'm reading the evening news. It was just so stoic. I'm like, why can't I cry? I'm like, come on. <laughs> like, I wanted to cry. And I couldn't. I couldn't. Not because I don't love the Lord or the passion. Later that day, I was in my office. I was working on a talk I was giving at a a youth retreat at Catholic Youth Summer Camp. Anybody here at Catholic Youth Summer Camp? Want to keep your kids Catholic? Send them there. That's another bullet point. All right. Um, I was working on this talk for them, and I was like, I need, like a, I need a clip. I need a clip. And because of the twins, because of their kids, I've seen so many Disney movies and read so many of the children's books. I've seen Moana so many times. Oh, Moana, y'all. So that scene where Moana restores the heart of Tefiti. Do you know what I'm talking about? All right. That scene came into my mind, and I was like, that might be good. I pull up on YouTube, and like I start watching it, and I'm not joking. I lost it. I lost it in my office. I have crossed the horizon. I know your name. Right? Like, and I'm like... <laughs> Like, it's one of those, like, okay, I'm like, I'm crying, I'm crying. Our, our housekeeper comes by my office, and she just, like, stops. And I'm, like, this far away from my computer screen, so I don't see her. And she's in the door frame, and I'm, like, <gasps> like crying. And all I hear is she goes, uh, Father? And I'm, like, get out of here! <laughs> so, like... I, had, I was talking to my spiritual director about this, and I was saying, like, what is wrong with me, right? Like, the gospel doesn't move me, but Moana levels me? Like, I've got, like, a poorly calibrated heart or something. I'm like, I feel like I should confess this. And my, my wise spiritual director, he goes, you were watching the gospel. He goes, that's the gospel. Like, it is, it is. Like, who is singing to us? I've crossed the horizon to find you. I know your name. They've stolen the heart from inside you, but like that does not define you. I know who you are, who you truly are. Like that's not Moana singing. That's Jesus singing. That's Jesus. That's Jesus. Like so. Here's the thing. Like, what are the things that make your kids' hearts burn? And are you taking the time to connect it to the gospel? Because if we're not doing that, like we are not making, the, we're not creating the essential bridge that makes sense of Jesus' claim that I've come to satisfy your heart. I've come to make your life burn with desire. I've come to make, like, I've come to give you life and give, life, give you life abundantly. Like, there's been times where I've watched sunsets. I've seen sunsets. Like in Wadsworth, we have gorgeous sunsets. And I have this crazy internal movement in my heart that says, I want to eat that. <laughs> okay, now watch. You laugh. You laugh. But how many of us have had that experience where you see something so beautiful, whether it's a sunset, whether it's a baby, whether it's the stars in the night sky, where you say to yourself, I want that in me. 
I like, can they turn that into like a perfume or a food? I want to put that in me. Like, friends, like, that is Jesus. Like, that is, that is your hunger for the Eucharist. That's the hunger for the Eucharist, right? What if the infinite one packaged himself in a finite thing and said, take, eat. Yeah, I'm right here. If you can begin to connect the moments where your kids' hearts burn with Jesus, mic drop, right? Like, that's it. That's it. Because it's, it's the invitation to the banquet. I think most of us say, come become Christian and starve. <laughs> Doesn't this sound great? We have rules, though. Don't worry. We got a lot of rules. That's not the gospel. It's, the, it's a promise of unending, incredible life. All right, so that's what I've been chewing on for the last like, three months. That came out pretty good. You guys are the first ones. All right. All right, we might have gone like an hour long. I don't know. But let's land the plane. And uh, how about we pray and then open it up to questions? Does that sound okay? All right. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord, you promise us abundant life. So I come to give you life and life to the full. Lord, we, we lift before you right now all of our kids, our grandkids, the generation, the bloodline of our whole family. We lift it up to you, Jesus. We ask you to insert yourself into our very family bloodline and to bring mercy and healing, power, peace, authority into all of it. Jesus, may all of our kids, especially the most wayward ones, may they come to know you and know you more uh, abundantly and fully. Give us a holy dissatisfaction, a holy hunger, a holy thirst that only you can satisfy. And we give ourselves, our families, our kids entirely to you, Mary. We place ourselves in your womb, the safest place to be, as we say, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right. Well, do we have any uh, questions for me? Okay. Yes. Um, any advice for parents who are in single family homes raising Catholic kids and doing their best and just feeling overwhelmed? Yeah. That, what a great question. Um, so advice for parents in single, single parent homes raising Catholic kids. Um, I mean, I, like, like you've been hearing all night, you can't do it on your own, right? So, like, it's, it's finding the, the family support system, the network to plug into, whether it's, yeah, the extended family. Um, don't don't, don't um, doubt the impact of grandpa, the impact of grandma. Don't doubt the impact of uncles, um, neighbors, coaches, all those, all those sorts of other figures. I think that uh, involving um, those external, uh, like, extra parental figures, whether you're a single parent or you're married, we died again. Did we die? Yeah. Oh, how tragic. Another one underneath. Yeah. I feel like you're pretty loud. Hey, hey, hey. There we go. Um, yeah, it, the, just no matter what the family situation is, you still need to have the investment of some extra parental person kind of pouring into your, the, your kids somehow, whether that's a youth minister priest, coach, something along those lines. I'd say try and find those mentors, find those people to kind of pour into your kids. And just also trust that, like, the Lord knows your situation and he's pouring as much grace into you as, as you need to carry that cross. So, 
shooting from the hip yet? Anybody else? Yes? I mean, there's a thousand things you could say, a thousand ways you could say it. One of the, I mean, for you as mom, one of the first things I would tell you to do is, is read John Paul II's letter to artists, first of all. Like, that thing is gold. It is so good. It is absolutely incredible. Anybody else? Has anybody read that in here? Just so we're overachievers, okay? I see you. I see you. Right. Also in the front of the classroom. I like that. All right. Um, yeah, so like in that, he gives this whole like idea that, that God sends into the heart of every artist a spark of his own creative energy, right? So like they, artists experience what God experienced in those first moments of creation when he looked at his potential canvas and said, let there be, right? So there's, there's a resonance between the heart of artists and the heart of God. So I would say just like, in order to have like a, a bearing to engage that conversation, I would say read that, that just read that first. Um, and just asking the question of like, what's inspiring you? What's going on there? Tell me about that, you know? And uh, yeah, I, I, th there's just so many ways you could go with that. But yeah, I would say, but definitely encourage that, right? Another name for God is beauty, right? God is beauty. He, he, he is like all the beauty that we're attracted to. He is the capital B beauty. That's, uh, yeah. Okay, I know what you're saying now. I was like, I don't know where we're going right now. <laughs> you're talking about you playing the video game. Well, he's playing it, but I'm trying to connect with him, so I'm trying to play He's it. like, Mom, the controller's upside down. <laughs> yeah. Press A. Where's yeah. A? Yeah. 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 Pretty much that's me. So trying to make that connection when it's something that is so... Yeah, I would, I would say that like the connection is like just being there with him. I, I, I would very much doubt that your son's like... God, my mom sucks at video games. Like, I wish he was so much better. I wish he could play Fortnite with me, right? Like, I very much doubt. I very much doubt that like that's the connection that that matters. It. I, I think like some of my my fondest memories of my mom. Like we, my I was never allowed to have video games. That's a whole other story. Whole other you know lots yeah. of therapy sessions. Um, but um, I have a lot of great memories of of playing all these games with my mom and just like. Of uh, like her making up rules, make making up rules. It was it's just the it's this the time right that's the that's the impact that's the time that's the impact. Um, so yeah, okay. Just just invest in the time, waste the time, money and time. Those are the two things we have to invest in, and waste and give away, right? Um, yeah, where we put our time, it just says what we value and prioritize. And I think uh, I I mean, no judgment on on. I don't have my phone here. My phone's in my jacket. But so many parents. I mean, gosh, just. If I wasn't gonna get arrested, I would just go up to like every parent like at like a restaurant, ignoring their kid and grab their phone and be like, yeah, you know, torture cat. <laughs> you know, like You're exactly right. And I do have to say this. We had a priest in Chicago Falls at St. Eugene's and he had a big he didn't care if the kid screamed, yelled, whatever else was happening in church, but not a cell phone. Yeah. Okay, not a cell phone. And so this person cell phone goes off. The first time, 
and it's very distinctive ringtone. <laughs> he goes off a second time. Yeah. And God bless this priest because he's deceased, but God bless him. He looks up and says, that better be Jesus calling you. <laughs> and I will never forget. I'm like, hello, Jesus. Yeah, hang on. <laughs> Father's right here. Just you want to talk to him? <laughs> just the way he went, that better be Jesus calling you. Yeah, that's because great. Because it's like, Yes, pay attention to what yeah. what's going on now. Yeah, totally. Totally. Yes, please. Man with a great haircut and great beard. <laughs> oh, I didn't realize. My wife and I are converts. We came into the church three years ago. No. I find myself I find myself getting wrapped up in and I'm also a Marine, so I'm very rigid. Sorry. I find myself getting wrapped up in the minutia of politics and church politics yeah. and things like that. And I watch my wife from afar, even though she doesn't think I'm watching sometimes. She kind of just makes it work. How do we get to that point where I'm not wrapped up in the anxiety of all the... Yeah, bro. All right, so listen. That makes sense. Yeah. All right, so like, here's a question. And this is like everyone else. All right. What does... Like what a pope is saying or doing, what does what the cardinals are saying or doing, what does what bishops are saying or doing, what is any of that, what impact does that have on what God is asking you to do or what he's asking you to be today? None. None whatsoever. So if it's like stealing joy, if it's creating anxiety, if it's creating disquiet, like the gospel from this past Sunday, if your hand causes, or from Thursday, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Like, like it, it, it is it is the enemy. It is the enemy. Diabolic comes from diabolane, which means to scatter. Like it is the enemy scattering the church, ripping people apart, ripping us apart inside, right? Like it's such diversion, it's such distraction, it's such crap, it's not from the Lord, and it's totally taking you away from the mission. It's totally taking you away from the mission. It's such a distraction. Just just burn it, get unsubscribe, just stop looking at it. <laughs> Yeah. All right. I had like I had to do that. Like I was in COVID. I'm like, what the heck is going? On? I was reading all these. And I'm like, like I this is destroying me. This is absolutely destroying me. So I get it though. I get it. Yes. Uh, I totally appreciated your uh, reference to Amazon uh, deliveries with all different kinds of. Are you also products? an addict? An Amazon Prime. I'm so an addict. I'm yeah. sorry. Uh, <laughs> in fact, the book that you held up, I have in my Amazon cart right now. Nice. <laughs> one book a month so um, but, um, be, because I, I'm a product of Catholic school and um, I there's I think I, I'm so on fire with our faith for our children because yeah. there's so much I did not get as a child until I was older I mean I am a cradle Catholic but not because I had a reversion much older yep. and then I got angry because there was so much pain that I could have avoided um, yeah. in my Catholic had my Catholic schooling been so I'm, I'm fearful. We have a five-year-old and an almost one-year-old. I'm a little fearful that I'm going to cram too much too soon into my child's brain, yeah. and it'll be overload. So is there advice I guess you have yeah. for someone like me? So just just look at that? yeah, just look at just look at the pattern of your own story, right? Mm -hmm. That like you you had all the content, but it wasn't until you had the encounter did the content matter at all. Did the, counter, did the content mean anything, right? Your reversion, you say, right? Like, what, we, what we're doing so backwards in the church right now, like every Catholic school, 
is we are catechizing the unevangelized, which is just not working. It's it's pouring seeds on cement, right? Like, like there has to be like, you look at the gospel. You look at the gospel. Jesus meets people, and then out of that encounter is generated a whole new way of life, right? Like a whole new way of life that says, I want to know everything about you. I'm fascinated about you, right? Just like you as couples, right? Like if you had not encountered and fallen in love with the person you're sitting with, but decided to know everything about them, you would have been a stalker. (laughs) But because the encounter comes first, the, the effect of the person in you comes first, like the I want to know everything about you is an expression of love, right? So like, here's what you want to think about. Like, all right, am I, am, I trying to, am I trying to create opportunities for encounter? Or am I trying to create opportunities to cram content? Right? Like, the content will come. It really will come. Like, just trust that. The trust that. But to be very intentional about creating, like, putting them in opportunities, whether it's like just sitting them very quietly, patiently in front of Jesus and having little conversations about, like, this is Jesus. Like, like walking them through, like, all right, here, I want you to just ask him this question right now. Why don't you close your eyes, sweetie, and just say, like, Jesus, what do you think of me right now? What do you dream for me right now? What do you want to say to me right now? Just, like, if you get your kids in the practice of being able to say, like, to, like, come to Jesus and treat him as a real person, right, instead of a thing, like, then you're creating opportunities for encounter, and then out of that, they'll come, like, well, like, who, like, who is he? What is this church? Right? Focus on the encounter first. Focus on the encounter first. All right? Anybody else? Yes, please. Okay. You said you didn't go to Catholic school. No. Were your parents, were you a credo Catholic? No. So. Yeah, no. Vatican II era, era, okay? I was born in 64, so I didn't get catechized. At the time I was in Catholic school, I made my first communion in 72. Okay? At that time, God is good, he's your friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was it. That, that was it. I didn't, I, didn't, I didn't learn a rosary yeah. at that time in Catholic schools, okay? Back to the first question, I, I was a single parent and my kids are now 25 and 27, 28. And I took them to mass faithfully. I tried to do whatever. Bottom line, they've all ventured off because they go to college, and college is eh, yeah, yeah. So this is a generation. This is a two generations, and I believe it's sort of Vatican II. And then you know, and I'm looking at you, and you're like, okay, and you were saying the same thing. So of course, with the help of the Holy Spirit, you went into the seminary. But what what can we tell you? What can we do? For these two generations that be joyful be an annoyingly joyful <laughs> yeah there's nothing that turns people away especially kids younger generations than curmudgeony parents like angry catholics there's not a worse evangelist than someone who just wields truth like a battle axe Caritas and Veritate, charity and truth. If we are, like, screaming truth without, like, without dipping it in the honey, as St. As Ambrose said, dipping in the honey of charity, we're not going to win anybody. 
be just crazy joyful. Like love, like the best thing you can do for your kids is just run after Jesus as hard as you can. Yeah, 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 and just and all like and just trust that. Back to that road to Emmaus story. Like, they're walking in the wrong direction, y'all. Right? They're walking to Emmaus. They were supposed to stay in Jerusalem. They settle in. They make camp at Emmaus, and Jesus just keeps on walking. And they say, "No, no, stay with us. Stay with us tonight." Jesus was willing to walk farther in the wrong direction than they were. Like, he's willing to walk farther in the wrong direction than your kids than than they are. Like Psalm 139, like he, you can't outpace him. You can't outrun him. Like he's, so like just let the good shepherd take care of them, give them to the blessed mother, become good friends with St. Monica, and you be joyful. Okay? Yeah. All right, it's past nine. I'm guessing we should probably uh, dock this cruise ship of fun here, y'all. So uh, I'm going to turn back over to our keynote speaker to land it tonight. Here you go. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Wow. Wow. So much to take away. And what you were just saying, I just wrote down in my notes, you can't give a 